Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, I asked for your stories, and boy, have you delivered. I think this may be a new record. More than 80 submissions have rolled in already, and that's in just a single week. And if the caliber of the handful of those we've reviewed so far is any indication, let me tell you, children of the night, this next season is going to be one hell of a ride. Let's keep this infernal train churning, shall we? If you've got a tale of your own, or know someone who does, a quick stop by talestoterrify.com slash submissions will give you all the details necessary to get it in our eager, grasping hands. Something else I've been talking about quite a bit lately is reviews. We've received a few more in the last week, including a very flattering one from Your Mom82. But did you know that, until the end of April, your reviews can help more than just our podcast? Podchaser is running their second annual Reviews for Good fundraiser, aimed at helping to raise money for vulnerable populations that have been hit especially hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. More specifically, they've partnered with Meals on Wheels America to ensure that seniors 
who've been stranded at home, many for over a year now, have access to both nutritious meals and healthy social interaction. It's an amazing program that helps improve the quality of life for millions of seniors across the U.S. So where do you come in? It's simple, really. All you need to do is visit podchaser.com, search for Tales to Terrify, and leave us a review. Share your thoughts, your feelings, tell people why you love the show, or, heck, let us know what we could do better. The important thing is that you review. By clicking that Submit button, Podchaser will add 25 cents to the total donation for Meals on Wheels. But better still, we'll be monitoring and responding to those reviews, and for every review we respond to, the donation amount doubles. Plus, Podchaser has lined up a number of podcast-related sponsors that will also be helping to match donations. So it really is a win all around. And for just a few seconds of your time, you can make a pretty big difference in someone's life. So head over to podchaser.com and give us a review. Even if you've already reviewed us on iTunes, it still qualifies and you're still helping someone out. And that goes not just for our show either, but any podcast you listen to. In fact, it might be the perfect excuse to branch out and explore some new shows you've never tried before. Again, that's reviews for good through podchaser.com. I'll throw a link in the show notes, too. This week, we're visiting somewhere a little different. Or should I say, someone. As we've heard over the better part of the last year, the supernatural is interwoven into much of Canada's history. That well of unexplained events and eerie places runs deep. But it turns out that interest in what lies beyond the veil isn't just with us average lay people. It runs all the way to the top. It may not have been widely known while he was in power, but Canada's tenth prime minister was a devout spiritualist and believer in communicating with the afterlife. First off, for anyone not familiar with the term spiritualism, it's quite different from spirituality. Spiritualism is the belief in the afterlife and that the spirits of the dead can actually be contacted and interacted with. Usually, that takes the form of things like mediums, seances, and Ouija boards. But like any belief set, there's a fairly diverse range of practices and interpretations. For William Lyon Mackenzie King, the 10th Prime Minister of Canada, otherwise known as the dude on the $50 bill, it wasn't so much a religion as it was simply an immutable fact. There was life after death, and you could converse with the other side. In fact, there was a huge wealth of untapped knowledge and insight possessed by the dead that, if accessed, could be invaluable to the living. King was known to visit a variety of mediums in Canada, but it was during his trips to England that many of his readings took place. Helen Hughes was one of the more well-known mediums in Britain at the time, and right when she first met King in the 1930s, they began to establish a rapport. She had no idea who he was at first, 
and didn't learn until much later the prominence of the man who would occasionally enter her parlor. Each time he'd come back to England, though, no matter how busy his schedule, he'd carve out time for a private reading. Mackenzie King, he knew that optics weren't great. His beliefs about the afterlife may not be the most palatable to everyone, and he made a concerted effort to keep them separate from his office. Only those that were very close with him even really knew that it was something he held such a passion for, and he made a real choice to keep his interactions with the dead personal rather than professional, making a point to never ask about matters of office. King had never married, and for a major public figure, he was fairly withdrawn and lonely. Mostly, he would contact the dead to just talk with them, to visit with them, like calling home to check in on his family. And it wasn't just the human members of his family either. During one visit with Helen Hughes, the medium reported to him, Your sister's here and she has this beautiful little dog with her. Doesn't seem like the dog's been very long over on that side, though. King, a notoriously cool and logical man in demeanor, gave the medium a warm, genuine smile. That's Pat, he said, and then began telling Hughes a story. One evening, King was lying in bed in his home in Ottawa, drifting between sleep and wakefulness. His mind was racing, and he was having trouble sleeping. As he tossed and turned, he heard a sudden scrape, and then a loud metallic clatter on the floor. His breath caught for a moment as the sound echoed through the stillness of the huge, empty house. He reached over and gingerly tugged the chain of the lamp on his bedside table. He peered over the edge of the mattress and saw, on the floor, his gold watch. A heavy watch. A watch that he'd carefully placed on the center of the nightstand before climbing into bed. A watch that now lay face down on the hardwood floor. Everything else was in order. No sign whatsoever of what could have moved it. He decided to leave the watch, rolled back over, and actually fell asleep. In the morning, the watch was where he'd left it, but as he plucked it from the floor, a strange sense of knowing washed over him. The watch had stopped when it hit the floor, stuck at twenty minutes past four in the morning. He glanced toward the doorway and a basket filled with old pillows. Inside, his aging Irish terrier, Pat, was still sound asleep. King smiled, but couldn't help lonely tears from tracking down his cheeks. I'm not a psychic, King told the medium, but I knew then, as if a voice were speaking to me, that Pat would die before another twenty-four hours went by. That night, King was awoken by a shuffling sound. Pat climbed gingerly out of his basket 
plodded across to his master's bed and pulled himself up on top of the covers. Pat, who was always trained to sleep in his own bed on the floor, nestled in with King, closed his eyes, and stopped breathing. As King placed a gentle hand on his old friend's still form, he glanced at the clock. Twenty minutes past four, exactly. One of the other regular participants in Mackenzie King's supernatural conversations, interestingly enough, was the spirit of former U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, someone with whom King had a good relationship within life and a healthy degree of respect for. Interestingly, though, while those conversations were supposedly written down, the records have long been sealed away and remain, for the most part, forgotten or inaccessible. Of all the spirits that King spoke with, though, the most regular was his mother. They had a close relationship in life, a bond that it seemed even death couldn't break. The psychic, Helen Hughes, recounts her experiences. It was as if he had his mother living over here in Britain. What would any son do if he came here on business? He'd look her up. He'd want to see her and talk to her. He didn't want her advice about public affairs. He wanted to know how she was. Not long before King's own death, his mother even warned him of his impending fate. At least three years before he died, his mother, through the medium, told him that he was doing too much and that his heart wouldn't stand it. King, not easily swayed from his duties, of course consulted an additional source. His friend, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, or rather, his friend's spirit. Roosevelt told him that he was doing the right thing staying in power, that his country needed him. And so, King continued to work. Eventually, though, the medium received an additional message out of the blue from Roosevelt which was relayed back to Ottawa. Roosevelt, the medium said, had made a mistake. King had fulfilled his obligation, and it was time for him, for the sake of his own well-being, to step down, which King did. Although it may have been a little too late, he died shortly after. William Lyon Mackenzie King left a mark on Canada in many ways. He was remembered as a fairly good leader, enough that he's still on a pretty hefty piece of currency anyway, and while he didn't consider himself a religious spiritualist, his belief in the supernatural has been a lingering subtext of his legacy, and it may very well be part of what made him a strong leader to begin with. When speaking to Helen Hughes about his belief in the afterlife, King once said, People who don't believe in survival haven't yet begun to live. We have three tales for you this evening, the first of which comes from Libby Young. Libby Young is a writer, beach volleyball player, general nature lover, and excellent cat conversationalist. She publishes a bi-weekly short story newsletter called Short Story Soup, and is co-host of the podcast, 
Cinematica Animalia, which explores the science behind movie monsters. Children of the Night, join me for Libby Young's The Catch, a Tales to Terrify original. As she approached the secret fishing hole, the woman could see an elderly man dressed in a bright yellow and white flannel shirt leaned up against a tree, pole in hand, line dragging lazily in the water. She hadn't been out here in about a year. With the new job and the move, life had proven too busy for a bit of fishing. Part of her was disappointed and surprised to see someone else at her best spot, which was her closely guarded secret for the past four years or so but the old man's face looked pleasant enough. Anything biting? The woman asked in a friendly earnest, lifting her tackle box over some thick weeds. The old man lifted his head slowly and gave her a slight tip of his head and a genuine smile. Nothing yet. He looked at the sun, which dipped lower in the sky. Soon enough, though. Dawn and dusk, it's when they're hungry, she said continuing pleasantries as she set her tackle and gear down at the water's edge. You mind? she asked politely. She knew he wouldn't say no, but her southern manners and fisherman's etiquette required her to ask permission to intrude on and share the fishing hole, since the man was there first. Not at all. I'm glad for the company, he responded warmly. She tipped her head now in acknowledgement and went about setting up her gear. After she had finished tying her line and hooking the bait, She took her first smooth cast and release into the water and sat down on a nearby stump. She audibly sighed in relief. Stranger or no, she had needed this. It was the perfect way to relax. Bass or bluegill? The man asked, breaking the peaceful silence. Hoping for a large mouth, but I ain't too picky. I mostly catch and release these days. More about the distressing, if you know what I mean. I do. I've been coming out here every night for, oh, a while now. Can't seem to recall how long. His face crinkled in contemplation. It's a good little spot, isn't it? Scenic and serene, she chatted. I live up near Sugar Creek. Too much expansion these days. Seems like it's harder and harder to find a little nature. Sugar Creek was nothing but cow pastures in my day. Me and my wife would ride down those little dirt roads for hours. His face grew fuzzy in a kind of soft remembrance. The woman watched as a bit of sorrow drifted into his eyes. Your wife like fishing? She suspected she knew the answer, but wanted to inquire out of respect. She's passed. Cancer. About six months ago. His lips wrinkled and pursed together as if trying to swallow some sadness. Sorry to hear that. Must have been a good woman. You seem like a decent fellow. He smiled somberly. Oh, well, she was a good woman for putting up with me. 
that's for sure. There was a moment of silence. Spring peepers croaked their songs back and forth to one another. A bullfrog splashed into the water from the embankment. To answer your question, yes, my Nancy loved to fish. Actually, this was our spot. Oh, how special. See that willow over yonder? He pointed to the sweeping willow tree, whose long, trailing branches dangled in the water. She knew the tree well. Willows were her favorite, and this one was magnificent. It was part of the reason she fell in love with this spot when she had discovered it those years ago. She nodded her head. I proposed to Nance, right underneath. It was a little smaller then, (laughs) he laughed, but not by much. The woman smiled at the sweet memory. I take it she said yes, she joked, trying to bring a levity to the sad subject. Actually, no, he chuckled again. She was going off to college upstate, and she said she didn't want to make me wait on her. She said I was too handsome to be tied down so young. How progressive of her, she laughed, truly in awe of someone from his era acting that way. You wouldn't believe the half of it. She was a woman out of her time, for sure. Always kept me on my toes, that one. He looked at her with a half smile. Take some unsolicited advice from an old man. If you haven't already, you find you a Nancy. The one that keeps you on your toes. Those are the best ones. The ones that fill your life with unexpectation. That is, the expectation of never knowing what kind of fun or mischief or surprise they're going to bring you. She made life worth living. Every day I'd wake up with so much joy, ready for... A new day full of loving and laughing. The woman felt a little tear form in the corner of her eye by his unexpected speech. She was touched, moved by the man's love for his wife and friend. She felt a pang of loneliness for herself and for him, knowing his Nancy was gone. I'm glad you had that in your life. That's really something wonderful to be had. She sounds lovely. She was. I've been spending my days here just waiting to see her again. Shouldn't be too much longer now. He looked into the sunset once more. The brilliant pinks and purples streaked the warm glow of the burnt orange sky. She didn't know what to make of that statement, let alone how to respond. She fell silent, and the two sat in the stillness for a while, fishing poles in hand. He closed his eyes and seemed to be taking in the coolness of the burgeoning night air. The frogs still sang, and a few crickets and cicadas joined Dusk's tune. She felt a tug on her line. Oh, I I think I got a bite, she exclaimed aloud. Looks that way. He beamed with a smile that stretched ear to ear on his worn and wrinkled face. Her line gave another tug, and she tugged back this time, setting the hook reeling in her catch slowly and patiently. Thank you, he said as she reeled. Don't forget my advice. Life is worth it all when you've got someone to love and love you back. I've been waiting here for a while for someone to show up. I'm really glad it was you. The woman felt confused. She kept reeling, but looked over at the old man as he was seemingly saying goodbye to her. Her mouth went agape. 
She watched as the old man, fishing pole and all, started to fade from existence. His figure slowly dissipated into the backdrop of the colored sky. With one last shimmering effect, he disappeared completely. She sat wide-eyed for a moment, rubbing her eyes several times in disbelief. The gentle tug on her fishing line pulled her from shock. Instinctively, she looked at the water, towards the source of her tugging. Following her line, there on top of the water, floated a body. It was a man wearing a bright yellow and white flannel shirt. That was Libby Young's The Catch, as read by Meredith McNeil. Meredith McNeil is an actor and comedian living in Los Angeles. You can find her performing improv or walking seemingly forever with her dog, Presley. Thank you, Meredith. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Our second story tonight comes from D.W. Davis. D.W. Davis is a native of rural Illinois. His work has appeared in various online and print journals. You can find him on Facebook at DanDavis05 or at Dan underscore Davis86 on Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Listen with me, children of the night, to D.W. Davis's Werewolf, a Tales to Terrify original. (laughs) 
My father gave me the mask when I turned 18. He took me out to the cabin. It was my first time there, though he'd mentioned it before. I only had a vague notion what it was. Some place my father disappeared to once a month for his hunting trips. Every month. He said little about them. He never brought anything back, but when I asked if the hunt was successful, he would nod satisfactorily. The cabin was lit by a wood-burning stove, and the only furniture was a table, two chairs, and a trunk. No decor to speak of. Just clapboard walls and a bare floor. No windows. Like something out of an old western. I wasn't disappointed, only because I hadn't known what to expect. My father sat me at the table, pulled out a chair, and guided me into it. Then he opened the trunk, his back to me, pulled something out, and sat opposite me. Then he set the mask on the table, directly between us. An ugly thing. Some nightmare version of a wolf. A tangled mane matted with leaves, dirt, and flecks of dark matter. Blazing red eyes, fangs almost as long as my fingers. You're the oldest, my father said. The oldest children in our family inherit this mask when they turn 18. It's a rite of passage. I went through it, as did my father, his father, and so forth. Now, it's your turn. I glanced up from the mask. My father's face was solemn. I had never known my paternal grandfather, and my father rarely spoke of him, except to say he died when my father was young, years before I was born. I glanced back at the mask. Everything you've heard is wrong, my father went on. I won't explain it all. You'll know soon enough. It isn't a complete transformation, though you'll grow more hair and will be much more dexterous. Do you know what that word means? I nodded. You'll be able to heal more quickly, and you won't be so easily injured. It won't take a silver bullet to kill you, however. That's superstition. You'll have to be safe, but it will come to you naturally. Animal instinct is far stronger than human instinct. I said nothing. My father wasn't one for fantasy. He spoke of late-night movie material as though it were true. And if he spoke as such, then it must be. Chart the course of the moon until you can feel it naturally. When the first quarter waxes, come here. Stay until the full moon begins to wane. Eat every night. Sleep during the day. There will be food. Squirrels, deer, raccoons, an occasional hiker or camper. You won't regret this. You think you will, but you won't. You have to eat, and out here, you will be the top of the food chain. It's fair. He stroked the hair of the mask, as he once had mine. He said, Your mother knows. You can tell your brother when you think he's old enough. My uncles knew. If something happens to you, the mask goes to your brother. Never harm either of them. I heard a story that one of our ancestors a century back didn't make it to his cabin quickly enough and had to start a new family to continue the lineage. It could be just a story, though. I was cold, though I knew the cabin to be warm. I had goosebumps on my skin, but I wasn't afraid. I found myself looking more and more at the mask and thought it wasn't as ugly as it had initially seemed. Something about the rippling flesh of the cheeks, the black lips, the stained teeth, seemed almost beautiful. I can tell by your face that it's time, my father said. His voice was heavy, 
I have raised you well, Evan. I feel no shame in saying that I'm proud of you and the life I've lived. With this, he pushed the mask towards me. I took it in my hands without thinking and held it up to my face. It reeked of dank soil and decay. The odor was not unpleasant. Put it on, my father said. I slipped the mask onto my head. At first, nothing. Then, a slow pressure at the base of my neck. A deep, tentative massage. It fits, I thought. And that was the last thought that was my own. The mask slipped itself against and then into my skin, spreading like a warm blanket into my flesh. The growth of my fangs felt like a joint popping back into place, my body becoming whole again. My senses took on whole new definitions. Anticipation rippled through my nerves, while my stomach immediately rumbled like an encroaching thunderstorm. Hunger like a living thing, like a sixth or seventh sense, a lover I would do anything to please. My father smiled at me. Happy birthday, he said. Then I leapt across the table and fed. That was D.W. Davis's Werewolf, as read by Jesse Holt. Little is known about Jesse Holt, though rumors have circulated that he was found frozen within a 20,000-year-old ice formation during an Arctic oil-drilling expedition. This is purely speculation, of course, as the official records state that the entire staff of the camp perished in what was described at the time as the most savage polar bear attack in history, judging by the mutilated and partially consumed corpses that littered the snow. Strangely, no bear tracks were found. Today, Jesse is a voice actor and tour guide with a passion for travel, and he's always happy to meet new victims, er, friends. You can find him on Twitter at Jesse Holt Voice or on his website at jesseholtvoice.com Thank you, Jesse. Our final tale tonight comes from Chris Curiata. Chris Curiata lives in, and often writes about, the Niagara region. His short fiction about whale-hunting clowns, singing fish, and time-traveling kittens have appeared in many fine publications. You can find out more about his work at chriscuriata.wordpress.com Listen with me, children of the night, to Chris Curiata's Magic Touch Spa, first published in the Quiliad, October 2017.
I'm never surprised by who rings our buzzer for service. Faces both familiar and foreign have turned up on our stoop over the years, so I've learned not to expect a specific type. Overdressed or down and out, everyone needs a friendly touch. On a night, the Saskatchewan wind chill drags us down to Siberian temperatures. Someone raps the glass on the studio door, ignoring our luminescent buzzer. A customer, 30 minutes before closing. Lovely. I've cultivated an exquisite warmth beneath my blanket, so the last thing I want is to disturb my hard-won comfort. But what am I doing here if not earning a living? If I won't answer the door, then I might as well have returned home to my daughter hours ago. Women customers are exceedingly rare, but not enough to break my streak of no surprises. Not even when I see my woman caller as one of the aunties. Auntie Hildy, I think. The aunties never introduce themselves. She clutches a strip of newspaper in her frozen hand. The ad Jillian faithfully places in the adult services section of the classified ads, even though the bulk of our customers discover us over the internet. Magic Touch Spa, the bold type reads, over a drawing of a splayed feminine hand. I've often thought if it weren't for the triple X Jillian writes beside our phone number, the casual reader would mistake us for a place that offers fortune telling. How can I assist you this evening? I ask Aunt Hildy. She waddles into the lobby, stamping snow from her bound feet and closing one nostril before blowing a long stream of green snot onto the mat. Her shoulders ripple like a duck shaking its wings, but she smiles, thankful to be out of the cold. Despite their fierce reputation, there is nothing to fear from an auntie in a good mood so we are meeting under the best of circumstances. I need a girl to come to the house, Auntie Hildy says. She slips on fogged glasses, squinting to read the prices tacked onto a sign over the front desk. Forty dollars half hour, sixty dollars hour, eighty dollars hour nude. Out calls need to be arranged ahead of time. We require a phone number to confirm the location the girls are heading out to, which is barely a safety measure as it doesn't ensure protection for the girl, only identifying where she went in case she never returns. I'm the only one on duty. Normally you don't do an out call unless another girl stays behind to watch the spa. It's too late to call anyone. This rotten weather guarantees the other girls will ignore their phones. I would. Since we are close to quitting time, I doubt Jillian will resent me shutting down early. As for the safety precaution, I decide to break the rules. None of the aunties have phones, and everyone knows who they are. There's an extra fee for travel, usually to cover my taxi or pay for a driver. Hold on. Auntie Hildy says. She produces a white bracelet, perhaps a hollowed-out elephant tusk. Can your hand fit through this? I slip snugly through the ring. I expect the inside to be rough, but material slides over my skin, smooth, like hand cream. Aunt Hildy is impressed. 
You'll do. My hands are small. One of the other girls, Trina, has hands like catcher's mitts that make her very popular with the gentlemen. Sometimes when she's in one of the rooms, I can hear her smacking their backsides, sounding like she's beating a rug. I set the alarm and lock the door, and immediately Auntie Hildy lifts us into the sky. We soar above the falling snow, but not the abysmal temperature. My lungs refuse the cold air, unwilling to accept this freeze without a good explanation. Auntie Hildy pretends not to see me struggling, but when I'm on the verge of passing out, she pinches my nostrils and blasts warm air into my suffering lungs. We land at her house on the other side of the city, a mere 15 seconds later. Auntie Hildy is annoyed I couldn't hold my breath for that brief duration of travel. I know whatever happens inside her house, there will be no tip. One of my rules is to terminate a session the moment the customer's mood changes, but I've been carried this far, so I look the other way and trust her to behave. Auntie Hildy lives on Halifax Street, one of the city's famous neighborhoods. After World War II, all these houses were inhabited by aunties. All of them have since made new homes in the cathedral area, or down by the legislature is a popular spot for aunties. Auntie Hildy must have good reasons for abandoning her sisters and staying behind on Halifax Street. The rest of the tenants are all low-income. The city passed a law that no major renovations could be done on Halifax Street houses. The aunties filled the walls with dangerous things, and if any of the houses were torn down, there was a risk of them escaping. Much safer to let the houses rot naturally and keep any troubles trapped inside. Auntie Hildy kicks over her doormat and retrieves a key, which surprises me. I wouldn't have thought aunties bothered securing their homes. I mean, who would ever be foolish enough to steal from an auntie? The lock turns with a clanking of metal tumblers that belong to more a bank vault than a wooden door. And I realize Auntie Hildy doesn't lock the door to foil burglars. She locks it to keep all her secrets from getting out. Leave your shoes on, Auntie Hildy says, and I smirk. One of my most cliched requests is to leave my shoes on. She isn't such a rare customer after all. Inside an auntie's house looks just as I have always imagined. Clutter stacked to the ceiling. Hundreds of candles burn. Aunties never use electricity. But the scent manufactured by Bed Bath & Beyond can't mask the dozens of rat and raccoon nests polluting the air with their musky oil. Animal carriers are stacked in a pyramid off the living room. Cats crouch, purring in unison their furry throats creating a wall of vibration that causes my dangling earrings to sway. I'm glad for the cat's contentment. Should they pounce from their boxes, there's enough of them to gobble me down to bones in minutes, too quick to be rescued, but long enough to suffer. Auntie Hildy wraps the banister. Upstairs, she says, like I've been keeping her waiting for an hour. She doesn't like me snooping around her home. I'm expected to keep a professional demeanor. There is a room prepared for us, lit with more candles. 
A blanket lies on the floor. No bed. Neatly lined up on the hardwood floor is a bottle of baby oil, a tube of hand sanitizer, and a fresh box of tissues. Would you like to get comfortable? I ask. Normally I insist a gentleman have a shower first, but aunties don't bathe, so making such a request would only annoy her further. I'm comfortable where I'm standing. You'll find your work down there. She points to a hole in the floor, one clearly gnawed by a rat or ambitious mouse. An air current flows beneath the hardwood, humming against the circular opening with what sounds like urgency. Auntie Hildy hands over my fee in a hasty clump of stuck-together bills that appear to have been fished from a storm drain. She pays enough for a nude rev, so keeping honest, I strip off my top and lie down on the blanket before sinking my arm into the floor hole all the way up to my elbow. It's a tight fit, different from the ivory ring Auntie Hildy tested me on. Perhaps the hole in the floor is healing shut. Thinking of a guillotine, I pledge to withdraw my arm the moment I feel the slightest constriction of the hole. I'm not going to leave my arm behind in the house of an auntie, not for damn sure. First contact, my fingers graze a set of closed, strong teeth. They aren't sharp, not animal fangs, but completely exposed. No lips. I feel dirt and grit between the cracks. This is the wrong end. Massages start from the back. I put on my seductive voice and whisper into the hole. Mmm. Would you like to turn over? Auntie Hildy keeps to her corner, arms folded across her chest, looking unimpressed by my massage skills. After this waste of time and money, she'll never trust another newspaper ad again. The floorboards creak as the body cooperates and rolls over. I hear material shift, insulation and cobwebs tearing as the body settles in properly for my ministrations. My palm glides over their back. Most of the skin has rotted away, and what remains hangs tight as a latex condom. Each knuckle of their vertebrae protrudes like decorative stones in a garden. If I ran my fingers fast enough over the bones, they would twang like rungs on a picket fence. With no fat to knead, I flutter my fingertips across the lower back. I need to be gentle. The body beneath the floor responds to my touch. The spine relaxes, releasing every knot and tension that has been accruing since God knows when. The meat beneath the bones raises goosebumps, some fat as nipples, and I circled them until he quivers and moans. Proper massage with one hand is nearly impossible, but I make the experience sensual, suggesting there is no hyperbole in the spa name. Jillian truly does employ magic hands. Go higher. The body beneath the floor pleads shifting themselves, trying to direct my hand to where they want to be touched most, the back of the neck. Auntie Hildy has seen enough. 
She stomps her foot twice like a judge's gavel, rattling the floorboards and calling the room to order. She sounds jealous. I picture her earlier in the day, on her hands and knees, gnawing at the hole in the floor before snaking her own hand through to massage the body, only he remained tight and cold, unresponsive to her touch. Are you ready to talk now? she asks. The body beneath the floor goes silent, tightening up in consideration. Maybe. Look at you. Not a peep in sixty years, but get some pretty young lady rubbing you up and down, and suddenly you can't contain yourself. She mocks the sounds he's been making. Oh, uh, go higher. You never want to be in the middle of an argument between a couple you're servicing as a professional. Often the idea of engaging my services appeals to one half more than the other. Sometimes the session turns into a ridiculous test of loyalty. Still, I'm pleased to be called a pretty young lady by Auntie Hildy. When I'm on duty with Regan and Jamie, customers always pick them over me. I tell myself I only regret missing out on the money, but sometimes I find myself in the bathroom, lifting my tits and studying the cracks around my eyes, and wondering what is so hideous to make the gentleman reject me. What is there to talk about? The body under the floor asks. Should I apologize? Auntie Hildy stomps her foot again. The entire house shakes, and I fear her breaking through the floor like Rumpelstiltskin. Yes! Tears sizzle out of her eyes, evaporating into pungent smoke as soon as they hit the air. I look away. I've never heard of an auntie crying before. Likely anyone who stands in witness of an auntie's tears doesn't live to tell the tale. I've apologized a hundred times, long before you stuck me down here. I want you to apologize now, when I know you'll really mean it. I roll off the blanket and slip back into my top. My chest aches from being pressed against the cold floor. The body underneath radiates anger and resentment, which soaks through the wood and chills me worse than any arctic wind. Forget it, the body beneath the floor says. I've waited down here long enough. I can last until the entire planet breaks apart. You think I won't be here when that happens? I'm not abandoning this house. As long as you're down there, I'll stand over your bones and make sure you remember why. The hour isn't up, but I'm willing to offer a partial refund. I want out of this house so badly I'll refund Auntie Hildy all her money. She can take my boots. She can take my jeans. I'll walk out into the cold naked if I must. Auntie Hildy ignores me. Her beef now is with the body beneath the floor. Do you even remember what she looked like? Do you even remember what made her so special it was worth betraying me and being stuck down there? A moan as satisfied as an orgasm spurts from beneath the floor. I picture those exposed teeth turning into a smile.
every day. The body says, I remember her every day. She was worth it. I run down the stairs, praying a locked door doesn't await me. The cats yowl, their hair raised and teeth out as Auntie Hildy stomps the floor over and over, trying to make a hole big enough for her to reach her former lover, whether to massage his lonely back or break him apart like he broke her heart, I'll never know. The wind drives ice shards into my face. Within seconds, my cheeks bleed. I bury my hands in my pocket and speed walk to the end of Halifax Street, where lights promise the warmth of an all-night convenience store where I can call a taxi. I'll be thankful to get this foul-smelling auntie money out of my pocket. It's been a rough night. I've broken too many rules, rules I built over years of experience, rules designed to keep me coming home safe to my daughter. If I'm not going to bother following my instincts and experience, I might as well find myself a new, less complicated job. A job where my hands are protected from the painful chill of the betrayed and the damned. That was Chris Curieta's Magic Touch Spa, as read by Summer Brooks. Summer Brooks is a bit of a television addict and enjoys putting her sci-fi media geek skills to good use in interviewing guests. She has been a co-host for Slice of Sci-Fi from 2005 to 2009, the co-host of the Babylon podcast from 06 to 2012, and host of Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas before returning to Slice of Sci-Fi full-time as host and producer in August 2014. She is an avid reader and writer of sci-fi, fantasy, and thrillers, with a handful of publishing credits to her name. Next on her agenda is writing an urban fantasy tale and a B-movie monster extravaganza. Currently, Summer designs and maintains websites for clients in addition to having fun with the Slice of Sci-Fi websites, and also does voiceover and narrations for Tales to Terrify, Starship Sofa, and Escape Pod, among others. Thank you, Summer. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you're not a supporter already, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shoutouts and merch packs. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put a smile on our faces, 
but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales. You can share your love of the show out in the world, too, with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will shoot you over to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy, custom, and curated designs. But it's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we tease your lizard brain with more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.